In today's episode, we open our Bibles to the book of Joshua, chapter 2. Joshua sends two spies to secretly scout out the city of Jericho. These spies find refuge in the home of Rahab, a Canaanite prostitute. Rahab's courageous decision to hide the Israelite spies and her declaration of faith in the God of Israel shine as key elements of this chapter. Her plea for protection and her willingness to cooperate with the spies results in an alliance between her and the Israelites. Good morning and blessed Pentecost. Today is Tuesday, September 19th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, where each weekday morning we explore the Holy Scriptures to which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thy Strong Word is brought to you in part by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Learn more about their translating and publishing work on their website at lhfmissions.org. This morning to help us unpack chapter two is the Reverend John Shank. He's the pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. Good morning, Pastor Shank, and welcome back to the program. Good morning. God's blessings to you. It's always uh, an honor to be on. It's always a lot of fun to explore God's Word together, and uh, we have uh, a lot to discuss today with uh, with chapter 2 of Joshua. Yeah, we certainly do. It's a very famous passage, a Sunday school passage. In fact, there's a lot in Joshua that shows up in the Sunday school, uh, you know, scope and curriculum. But uh, we, uh, yeah, we're going to get into it. It's going to be great. But before we do, maybe we should start in prayer. And I'd love for you to lead us in that prayer. Yeah, let us pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Mighty God, our Heavenly Father, you have called us by your holy word, your word of grace and mercy, your word that reveals who you are through your Son, our Lord Jesus. You have called us out of the darkness of this fallen world to be your people. You have called us into your grace and mercy. So be with us today as we face many hardships and challenges in our lives and the lives uh, of your people. And we pray that you would cause us to stand. To, to remain faithful to you and in love for our neighbor in the midst of every difficulty so that fear and trepidation do not win, but our hope and our trust in you remain steadfast until the glorious day of your visitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we've only begun this uh, book of Joshua, and we've only got through one chapter so far, but still, maybe you want to let the folks know um, where are we at that Joshua is about to send some spies in? Yeah, so we're there. They are across the Jordan. Uh, they have been um, obviously uh, Moses has died. The transition from Moses to now Joshua, uh, Joshua the servant of Moses, is now uh, leading God's people, and uh, he. Uh, it's probably good to know too, or be reminded that Joshua with with Caleb. Uh, are the the faithful spies that that uh, uh, Moses sent into the land originally? Twelve spies. Um, Joshua and Caleb came back with a good, a good and faithful answer. The other ten did not, uh, and it led the people uh, to disobey the Lord, not trust the Lord, and uh, and eventually then have to wander. And those that generation has passed away, except for. Uh, now Joshua and Caleb, they will be uh, leaders of God's people as they come in and then um, have this uh, military campaign, God's campaign to uh, give them the land. 
Um, but this is just the beginning. Uh, so they have been told that this is what God's plan is. Again, reestablishing that promise. And, and now they are, uh, Joshua is uh, making plans, calling the people into that faithfulness, chapter one, uh, to, to remain uh, strong and courageous and to do what God has called them to do. And they make that vow that they will. And now um, chapter two, we are uh, going to, to make those first steps. Not everybody is coming, but it, he sends two. We'll hear about two, not 12 spies anymore, but two, um, kind of reminding us of the faithful two originally. Exactly. Well, I tell you what, why don't we just dig into the text? Let's just jump in. Uh, it's basically split up into four parts. It's it's kind of like a sandwich, uh, one commentator said. <laughs> uh, we have the commission of the spies, followed by the arrival of the spies, right? The meat of the sandwich is the confession of faith by Rahab. And then the, uh, I guess the lettuce here would be the escape. And then the other piece of bread is going to be the return to Joshua. But we're going to start with the top piece of bread now. This is going to be verses 1 through 7. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went, and they came into the house of a prostitute, whose name was Rahab, and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at the dark, the men went out. I do not, I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you'll overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Okay, pausing right there. So uh, Joshua sent two men from Shittim, and it says, Go and view the land or spy on the land. See what's going on in Jericho before we head over there. Um, I got to say, one of the things that stands out to me right away is that they weren't very good spies. I'm just, just to be, just to be honest, <laughs> because uh, you know we don't, we're not given a lot of details. But they head into Jericho. They're lodging with the Rahab, and uh, well, the king knows not only who they are, where they're from, what they're doing, but where they're hiding. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know. Did they go in wearing like I'm from Israel and I'm a spy T-shirts or what? <laughs> anyway, tell us what's going on here. Yeah, I mean, there's there is a lot jammed into these first uh, few verses. You know, uh, Shittim. Uh, if you go back to to Numbers twenty five, so we, I think uh, maybe I'll say it this way: there's a lot of rec recapitulation, a lot of going back and and reliving where the people had uh, fallen. So God is bring so often God is bringing them back and restoring where they fell before and now brings them into his fulfillment. So he's leading the fulfillment. It's not like, well, we got it right this time. No, God is, God is, they're following in faith this time instead of unbelief. God, God was faithful originally. They, they fell into disbelief. So at Shittim, they, um, uh, they were uh, unbelieving and and acted in that unbelief and lived in that unbelief. So there's a a strong word there 
about what the men were doing uh, back in Numbers 25. And now here from, from there, they're called not into that, but to then go into the land and remain faithful this time, remain faithful. Uh, so there, that's the beginning of it. So if you kind of caught that, um, well, there's one thing. But again, we've already talked a little bit about the spies. And remember last time, the, the 10 spies were terrified because the people of the land were so huge. They're a land of giants. And, and, uh, and it was uh, Joshua and Caleb that came back and said, no, the, the land is, is ripe and fruitful and uh, that they should trust in the Lord. So again, here he sends two spies, but he sends them secretly. Now, that's what you do with spies. Spies need to be secret. So I don't think that's a kind of a huge thing, but I, I do think it's a secret in two places, secret from the people in the land, but also I think a lot of the commentators mention that it's probably even secret from the people this time. So that if they came back with not a faithful, the answer is going to come to to Joshua first, and then from Joshua to the people. So he can uh, he can cover up their unfaithfulness and not lead the people into despair as happened before. So um, I think that's also important to see. Um, so now they're going in, and maybe <laughs> maybe they're not the best double o sevens. I don't know. <laughs> maybe maybe not. Um, but I think it's. I mean, we have this in uh, the New Testament, too, where um, even if you uh, know the other kind of languages and customs, I mean, Peter is getting called out for his accent, right? Aren't you aren't you a Galilean, too? So it's like really hard. You know, it's, it's not the easiest thing not to kind of stand out like a sore thumb. I think some of the things they do uh, raises questions. Uh, but maybe there's some lot. Maybe they're not so. Uh, I was gonna say dumb. That's kind of negative, right? Uh, maybe they're not so bad at it. But it's really. I don't know. I don't know even how to begin being a 007 or being a you know special forces Navy SEAL kind of guy coming in and <laughs> try to try to find your way in a in a foreign city and kind of blend in. Um, I think they they at least appeared to not try to act like a citizen and maybe even acted like, a, Hey, we're just a visitor in town. Cause what do they do? They kind of, they end up going to the house of a, a prostitute. Now I'm not saying that they definitely didn't uh, act in that way, but right. where are you going to go? If you're a foreigner, it's kind of like the, um, all the Western movies, right? You go to the saloon and where's uh, other things probably happening in this place where everyone visiting to town, you know, anybody coming into town, where do they, they get a refreshment, they get maybe some eat, something to eat. It's kind of like the quote unquote in. And I know that's how uh, I think Josephus right. uh, takes Rahab too. And I, I think we can leave her as she's been called in the Bible. Um, but um, I think that that maybe he's hinting at some understanding that it, there was some logic behind what they're doing too. I, I think there, I think there is. Obviously, I was tongue in cheek earlier. So sure. you know, Josephus, as you mentioned in antiquities, calls her an innkeeper. I don't think that's um, that's not completely inconsistent with her also having a a house of prostitution too. Uh, right. People could have stayed there, stayed the night as visitors to town. They would have come there. Perhaps under the guise of of uh, you know employing some of her prostitute services, perhaps uh, just because that's where visitors would go. I think you're right, though. I think it's logical. They're going to gather intelligence. There are going to be other people there, and probably 
them gathering intelligence at this place, the rumors are going to spread. So in the same way that this is going to be a source of good information, they probably knew that it would get out pretty fast. Now, I can actually speak from experience about this. Not that I was 007 by any stretch of the imagination, (laughs) but I served as a um, covert private investigator for for a couple of years before going to the seminary. And I can tell you Mm. that I would sometimes rent a car drive into a town that I'd never been to, and it wouldn't take, oh gosh, an hour before somebody would be knocking at my window. You know, who are you? Why are you here? You're not from here. So it doesn't take much, I think, for visitors to be kind of (laughs) pointed out, hey, that guy is absolutely not supposed to be here, or those guys. And, uh, you know, so anyway, you know, I I give them a hard time, but I've been busted plenty of times on stakeouts trying to (laughs) trying to gather information. So I know how it is. But the course, the in focus here is really Rahab. Not that the story's about her, but she certainly her faith and her courage um, is in focus as we read this uh, this whole chapter. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think them finding out the spies leads us to understand and and really believe what she says about the people and herself and 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 everything later. You know, I mean, they they are uh, not to give spoiler spoiler, um they they are terrified. So seeing foreigners right. and again, we have the other side of the Jordan, I always get my east and the west uh, messed up, but the other side of the Jordan, it ha- they, they had um, uh, dis- defeated uh, kings and kingdoms over on that side of the Jordan already, right? So um, the people are well known, not only for what happened, what God did in Egypt, but now also with what God did uh, the to the kings there and and God had given them great victories and they're starting to settle. They have settled into those cities already. The people are astir with this incoming uh, Jewish or Hebrew uh, quote unquote problem, right? Well, one of the things too we see is that Rahab, even in verse nine, as you were saying, she she gives this misinformation, right? Fake news to them about how they went off and you better catch them and hurry up. But she's being deceptive in that. Let's just call it what it is. She's lying to them. You know, how do we I think in one of the things that we struggle with, and you know, I always get kind of caught up when I'm trying to think off the cuff here, but one of the things we struggle with is you know what? Where is the line in terms of deception, perhaps even bearing false testimony, but for the purposes of saving life? I, how do we reconcile Rahab, her lies, and how they work with uh, with uh, God's plan, while at the same time we're told, "Thou shalt not do that." H- how do we reconcile that? Yeah, I think you're. I think you're putting your finger right on the biggest. Biggest issue, uh, one of the biggest issues of this text, right? Uh, or at least one of the things that most commentators, or if you start Googling um, Rahab and her lie, um, where are people, what, how, how are people going to respond to that? And that, there seems to be a couple different lines people can take because there, there is the ethical dilemma, right? So if we just are trying to be fair with Rahab for a moment and just look at what's going on. Okay, so what are the commandments involved here? So we've got commandment seven, 
right? So we've got, uh, you shall not bear false witness, but we also have uh, commandment five about murder, right? Because if she's just like, hey, yeah, they're right here. They're not just asking because we want to hang out with them, right? We, we're, we're looking, what do we do to spies? We're, we're, we're here to, to capture them, um, to interrogate, and most likely to kill. That's, that's what happens to a spy. And these, she knows, she's got faith in their God, which will come out later, faith in their God, in the one true God. So she doesn't want to do that. She, uh, she doesn't want to be in that situation, you know, the, the ethical dilemma of World War II. Hey, 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 do you have any, any Jewish people here? Well, that's not just because we want to hang out. It's because they wanted to take them to the concentration camp and eventually they would be put to death. So that, that which, which commandment are you going to keep? By keeping one commandment, you have broken another. And that leads to that uh, keep one, break one ethical dilemma. Um, so I, I definitely, I, I get the feeling that most people understand that she she ultimately can't hand them over, right? There, um, there isn't a hierarchy of sins in the sense that um, one sin is better than the other, but um, she's not in a position where she can say, well, I can't lie and I'll keep my hands clean. Her hands won't be clean then. Right. Um, so, um, I, I think, so then get back to your question, where's the, where's the line? I, I think there's two things there. One, we can try to help our neighbor. If, if it's a clear pastoral question, you know, pastor, um, I've got this situation. Can I lie to someone? So we'd have to talk to them about what, what is, what is the, what is the level of dishonesty? What is, what is that really about? And what, and who maybe, and who is it for? Here, she's being dishonest. I mean, they're being a bit dishonest too. That's what a spy is. But um, there, there's a level of dishonesty for the life of my neighbor. My, the life of my neighbor is in, in line here, right? Someone breaks into your house, uh, you know, where's your wife? Well, I'm, I'm, my wife isn't here, right? I'm not going to tell you, even if she's hiding in the closet. I'm not... That's for the right. life of my, uh, my, my wife. And I think we all kind of get that. But I think there's definitely, and I'll just say slippery slope, um, there's definitely an issue still in line here where we, we need to avoid, well, okay, so, we, so Pastor, you're saying we can lie because the, just, just as long as the ends justify the means. And I, we really need to be careful with that, obviously, right? Um, because that's not what we're saying. Most of the time, the life of my neighbor is not at stake here, right? Um, so right. Uh, the Bible is very clear about um, having falsehood, right? And and being against lying. So it's like, well, I can lie as long as as long as there's a greater good. Well, no, no. Um, but you're not called to disclose everything you know just because someone asked you either, right? Tell me everything anyone ever told you um, uh, because otherwise you're lying to me. No, that's not true either. So we have to be careful how we handle this question. Uh, one, we don't want to give license to sin. And, and two, we, we want to be clear that we're not saying that Rahab did something ultimately wrong and she should have let them die. That's, that's clearly not the case either i think There's, the last oh sorry i was just gonna I say just, the last just, thing yeah, go ahead. the last thing is for us as lutheran christians 
I think our ultimate goal pastorally is to point out that whenever these questions kind of come along, there's a sense that ultimately we're trying to justify ourselves. We're trying to say, what, what, how can I keep myself clean? And I think this issue points out that we can't. We can't ultimately keep ourselves from never sinning. I would, I think as Lutheran Christians, we should say that her lie was still sinful. But the other, the, the other thing that she could have done was still sinful, right? E, the reality of a fallen world is that we are so caught up and, and stuck in the sinful world that we can't save ourselves. We can't justify ourselves. Jesus, we need Jesus to come and save us from this condition that we can't. So if the if the question is leading into a sense where you think pastorally or caring for your brother or sister, where it's like, well, are they thinking that we can like thread the needle here in this world and get out unmuddied and get out without ever having sin? Like, is that what you're asking? If that's what you're asking, brother or sister, your justification in this world is not by your action. It's not because you really got that ethical dilemma right. The, those ethical questions are good, and we we have to try to ask them out of love for our neighbor. But if you're if it's not really about the love for your neighbor, it's really about loving yourself. Then you need to see that you haven't got it right, and you need Jesus ultimately to be your redeemer. So, I, I guess that's how I'd handle it with a member. Well, I think that's uh, just fabulous, actually, and so clearly put. And we and we've raised this question when it's popped up before. You know, it's there's a difference also, not the ends justify the means, but there's a difference between, you know, Anne Frank is in the attic and the Nazis are at the door, which is very analogous to this situation. And right. well, I'm going to lie because I don't want to face consequences or I want to get something out of it. And Absolutely. I brought up, yeah, I brought up that I was a. Um, private investigator. And one of the things that I struggled with was I, a lot of deception involved in that job. And this is a true story. It's very brief, but I'll tell it. And 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 what really came around to me deciding this just wasn't for me and, and no judgment on those who have to do it. But um, I had been sitting on a house for about a week. Uh, it was two mobile homes right next to each other. And I was watching one of them and just, they weren't coming home. I, I never saw anybody uh, come out. My claimant, that's what we call them because I was mostly doing insurance fraud. They never, I never saw anybody. So I tried to get some information from their neighbors. Now I'm always deceptive, either saying, um, calling them up, saying I have a package for them, asking for information. Well, in this case, I put a hard hat on, I had a little fake badge that made me look like I was from the phone company, went up to this house. And as I'm walking up the house, now this is down South, you know, so they have one of these big signs that has the 10 commandments on it. And the ninth commandment, it's our eighth, but th they were a different <laughs> ordering system, was, you know, thou shalt not lie. And I'm like, oh, goodness. By the way, while I'm doing this, I'm also studying for my entrance exams to seminary. <laughs> so here I am, ready to lie to these people to get some information. Knock, 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 knock on the door. And they come to the door. And I do my whole spiel explaining that I'm from the phone company and I'm trying to get into their neighbor's house. And I'm asking for, you know, where are your neighbors? When will they be home? And just trying to find out information in this character. Well, the the lady, she was just, once she it took, she didn't really look like she understood, but once she figured out that I was from the phone company, she got so excited. Her husband came to the door. It was an older couple, and they wrote on a sheet of paper that they were both deaf and that they had a fax machine that they used to, you know, kind of 
write things and send it to people and people would send them faxes, but it wasn't working. And here they are praying for some help. And this guy from the phone company just shows up at their door, which is me. And of course, I'm not from the phone company. <laughs> so not only do I feel terrible about deceiving these people, but now they want their phone fixed. So I'm in their house trying, legitimately trying to fix their phone, completely forgetting about why I was there in the first place. Uh, and I, I didn't for, fix it. And I did call the phone company myself and tell them to send someone out. But my point is, I kind of got back into my vehicle and just thought, you know, this is not for me. You know, this wasn't to save a life. This was to save the insurance company some money, you know. And, and again, I'm not anybody who's out there doing that job. God bless you. I know that there's good value in it, but it just it wasn't for me. Uh, and so it was a struggle to say, like, where where are those lines where, you know, we are permitted, I guess, to be deceptive because it's for a better cause. And, and perhaps what that looks like is different for everybody. But the way you explained it, I think is incredibly helpful. And that is that, well, you know, so long as you're not doing it for deceiving purposes, there's kind of part of it where we are sometimes in no win situations because of just the sinful nature of the world. As someone who was investigating crimes, it took a little bit of deception to help investigate those things, just like a police officer has to break the speeding ordinances to catch someone who's speeding. So it was it was tough. It was tough for me. Um, but I, anyway, I'm sorry to get off track, but that's sort of what it reminded me of. Yeah. And and I think ultimately we need to see what is she commended for? Because the text doesn't say, isn't this great that she was so deceptive? It's more, isn't this great uh, her hospital that she received them. So the Hebrews eleven thirty one it talks about by faith, <laughs> and the other other people that were listed in this um, faith hall of fame, right? Um, and in Hebrews uh, are also people who have sinned and fallen short of fulfilling every commandment too. But it's it's the faith. It was her faith that was commended. Um, and then even in the James text where it's just talking about she acted in faith. Well, she she hid them and, and then she continued to act that God was going to give the land. So there was more action than just her deception, but she kept acting in the oath that she gave. Um, so uh, even the, the works that uh, accompanied the faith is being commended as a life of faith. And I think that's how we should look at her, uh, just like the rest of us. Uh, we should see here, just like the rest of us, that none of us are saved because we are perfect in every action, but we're saved because of the perfection of Christ. Well, we're going to get into the meat of this Bible sandwich, which is her declaration of faith, but we're going to have to wait till after the break. So folks, don't go anywhere. We're going to listen to these messages, but when we return, Pastor Shank and I will pick up where we left off. We'll see you on the other side. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. 
to learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo, and with me today is the Reverend John Shank, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. Uh, despite the promo you just heard, we're actually not in Peter, but in Joshua today, and we're going to be talking or continuing to talk about Rahab. But before we do that, I just want to take a moment to say, as I always do, but I really mean it, thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to be in God's Word. Of course, is hopefully a blessing to you because God's going to use that word, but it's also a blessing to us. We wouldn't have this program if it weren't for you. Remember, if you have any questions or comments about today's show or you want to send a message to my guest, you can reach out to me by email. Right now, that email is pastorboo at gmail.com. It's going to change in the future, but not quite yet. But you can also find me on Facebook. When you write you can say hello, you can ask a question, you can make a comment. Uh, I try to respond to everybody that writes, but when you do, let me know where you're listening from and how you connect to the show because there's so many different ways and I just find it fascinating, to be honest. Maybe you're listening over the air down in St. Louis or you're listening as a podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. Online at KFUO.org, you can live stream or listen on demand or you can also use the KFUO radio app. But since you're listening, you're not here to... Uh, let me lecture you about all the ways that we can tune into the show. You want to hear what happens with Rahab, and that's what we're going to talk about now. Brother, before the break, we really only got just started into the narrative. Um, if it's okay with you, I'd like to just dive right back in and get some more verses on the table. Sounds great. All right, here we go, starting with verse 8. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, Quote, I know that Yahweh has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. Because we have heard how Yahweh dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, Yahweh your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by Yahweh that as I have dealt kindly with you, you will also deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and my mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death, end quote. And the men said to her, Quote, our lives for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when Yahweh gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. I love that. A couple things. First of all, she says, swear to me by Yahweh. Not your God, Yahweh, but Yahweh. And then they say, when Yahweh gives us the land. I love both of those statements. But take us through it more deeply. So she goes up there and she lets them know, I know what's going on. Yeah, so she knows uh, the word, the word has come, right? And the word has come uh, through a, a revelation of what God has done in the land of Egypt and beyond, now into 
into the wilderness, uh, the the Amorites, and how God had um, saved them, even though uh, originally they they weren't going to attack. They promised not to attack. They were just going to go through, and uh, the Amorite king uh, uh, attacked the Israelites and and was defeated. But she's heard about that, so she knows God by His power. But now she also knows him by his uh, his favor, that they are God's people, that the the Israelites, uh, the Hebrew people are God's people, and that his blessing, his favor is upon them. So she knows something about about grace, not grace uh, towards her just yet. She's she's praying, she's hoping for that grace to be extended to to her. But she can definitely see how God's grace has been extended upon this people so that they are God's people. And then that has been what has been uh, dictating, uh, leading, driving her actions. That she knows that God uh, cannot be stopped by power. Who can stop this God? He is over all. Um, And Pharaoh could not stop him. Um, It wasn't really the people. It was God in action, so she knows that. And so her actions have been a a revelation of the faith worked by that word that has come uh, to her. I especially like the words that she uses, and in in some ways she demonstrates a faith that many of the Israelites themselves failed to have. She says, I know that Yahweh has given you the land. I mean, she knows because of his reputation, as you put, also his mercy and grace, but she also knows that there's nothing they're going to be able to do to stop them. If a God as powerful as yours is behind you, then I know that it's done. And and because of that, the fear has fallen upon us. So it's not just her. It's the whole people who have heard the message of uh, of the Israelites, and they've heard how God is working through them and for them, and they just – that's why they're so terribly afraid. But I, I also like how she brings up specifically in verse 10 how Yahweh dried up the water of the Red Sea because, spoiler alert, that's going to happen again, not at the Red Sea but at the Jordan. God's going to use that same miraculous imagery um, to – get the people into the promised land a little later. So that that also, I think, is a little foresight or a little foreshadowing, I should say, into what's going to happen next. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that these actions have caused the the heart, verse 11, the hearts, um, our hearts melted. <laughs> and um, so uh, the people aren't, uh, aren't in the mood to fight against such such a God. Um, so this is, uh, she's giving uh, the spies exactly what they needed to hear. Uh, this is the good news. Uh, the good news is God has already prepared the land and he's already prepared the hearts of um, these people to flee before that, you know, that they, they aren't, um, they aren't going to be able to stand against uh the, the one true God, Yahweh. So um, this is exactly why uh, uh, Joshua would send them into the land. He's get, they're going to end up coming back with exactly what they needed to hear. But before they do, um, they make a promise. They make an, they make an oath. Um, and um, the oath is also part of bringing the people back to how they became uh, God's people. Yes, they were uh, Israelites. They were of the tribe of Israel. Um, 
they were God's people, but God had um, reestablished his promise to them um, by, by setting them free. And you know how he set them free through the, through the plagues, but also um, ultimately through um, the Passover plague. And so uh, what did the people get called to do but to be within the home and to put blood of the lamb on the doorposts, on the lentils, and, and there remain in the house and uh, of course, they had the Passover lamb, but um, that part isn't in this uh, in this oath. But everything else really is, and uh, and and God would pass over and bring destruction on on everyone else, on on the people of the land. Here, um, they use um, that that reminder. I believe is being tipped back to is being um, uh, pointed back out because what do they tell her to do? Well, remain in the house, keep your family in the house with you. That's one thing. To have this scarlet marker on your house, and and three, don't tell anyone. And and I think that also kind of reflects a little bit of of all the things that the people of Israel endured um, through the Passover. And I think uh, she is being brought into the story, brought into the narrative. It's becoming hers. God is becoming her God because He is going to pass over. He's going to pass over her. Um, because of his faithfulness, uh, because of his promise made through these two messengers. Well, let's add some more verses to the conversation, starting with verse 15. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, Go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward you may go your way. The men said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and your mother, your brothers and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord into the window. That's the end of verse 21. So that's what you're talking about with the there's this, this semblance to how God had people inside their homes during the Passover and while not necessarily part – like the scarlet cord isn't like a condition of the oath. It's a practical means to identify her house. But, hey, scarlet on the outside of the house, I mean that will preach, right, just as you were saying. It will definitely – yeah. Yeah, the scar – yes, this, uh, this definitely uh, – there's many things that are uh, typological in this section that point us to Jesus, right? And she is being covered um, by the blood and uh, – and, and we know this is true because that's what that's what Christ does. He has covered all of our sins, and and look how hospitable she has been, um, not because of them, but because of of their God. She welcomes them because her desire is to welcome the God um, of their fathers. And isn't that something? So in that hope, in that faith, in that trust, here God covers 
her. Um, and, and if she hadn't put the scar, then then she'd be like everyone else, totally destroyed, totally um, <coughs> uh, devoted to destruction, like the rest of the city will be. You'll see that in the chapters to come. But no, it's the, you'll see in the chapters that they'll keep reminding us, but not not Rahab, <laughs> not her. And uh, because of God's promise through them, through them, but that's how God works. He He speaks through means to us, and he speaks a promise, and he he fulfills that. So when your pastor speaks to you the promise of the Lord that this is what has been done to you, you've been covered in Christ. You can't. You have the, this hope of knowing that your sins are forgiven uh, in the waters of baptism. You belong to Him. Destruction and uh, the chaos of of this fallen world shall not come upon you and your house, the house of the Lord. Um, man, that is a, yeah, like you said, that preaches, doesn't it? That does. <laughs> yeah. Well, and notice also how her trust in their God really extends itself into her, I guess, trust of these spies. Because think about it in a different perspective, from a different perspective. Here's an invading force. They come in, they have spies, they come to her. Um, she's in the business of being abused, let's just be honest, by men. Um, you know, any other sort of pagan force might come in and take advantage of her or even kill her and her family. But she welcomes them in because she knows their God. And, and maybe this is a stretch. I hope not. But I think that speaks to how we should present ourselves today. If we represent God and we represent Jesus Christ in who we are because we carry his name on our hearts and upon our foreheads, then that should affect how we behave. If if the spies were to go in and say forcibly have their way with her, then then that would have been a sin, of course, against her, but against God too. So part of her trust and her ability to welcome in these people, as you kind of intimated, was because of her faith in God. She didn't know them from anyone. No, and um, and then it speaks of how we should welcome um, a brother or sister. In Christ, not because of them per se, but because of right. the one in whom they believe. Um, hospitality, I mean, you go through the New Testament and here in the Old Testament, hospitality is huge because you have been welcomed into the household of faith. You have been welcomed. And and isn't this huge to see, again, a, a, a foretaste, a marker, a, a typology of who welcomed Jesus and who didn't welcome Jesus? Who did right. Jesus eat and dine with? With tax collectors, sinners, prostitutes. Who is the one who welcomed him, welcomed the spies because they belonged to Yahweh? And who didn't? The king wants to kill them. The, they, the king could have said, hey, we've heard about your God. We, we want them. How, how, do we, how do we confess? You know, a, a Nineveh reality. We need to be in sackcloth and ashes. We need to repent. He doesn't do anything. What must he we do to be saved? To go after them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and she becomes a lot like the uh, the jailer in Paul, right? Paul and Barnabas. So uh, it's not just her alone, um, but, but she, she becomes like a redeemer, a kinsman redeemer for her own family, which points ahead uh, to who she is. I mean, she she's in the line of the Messiah. Like, this is amazing. God is, it truly is amazing. We can all kid around a little bit about uh, amazing grace, but it is, it is truly amazing. It right. is amazing. This, this prostitute 
this harlot or or just innkeeper or business person who is doing all these shady businesses <laughs> is being brought in by God's grace into the line, into the family of our Lord and Savior Jesus. She is the, what it would be, the great, great, great grandmother of King David. She's the, um, her child is Boaz. Um, so Boaz and Ruth, right? So, um, so yeah, so this is um, quite amazing. And we know how Boaz becomes, uh, takes on the role of kinsman redeemer for her. Um, and so, so she takes that role on for her family by agreeing to do this for God's people. And by doing this, by walking in faith, she brings her whole household under that, um, under the household of faith. And that's just, that's just amazing. God is amazing. Oh, indeed. Indeed. Let's add a few more verses. In fact, let's add the rest of the verses. Verse 22. This is the, uh, this is the bottom piece of bread for those. I, I forgot the analogy halfway through, but here we go. They departed and they went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and they passed over and they came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, truly Yahweh has given all the land into our hands and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. Now, again, and, and, and I'm not trying to be, you know, sarcastic or anything, but we have the spies and they come back and the message they give is, oh yeah, that thing God said is true. <laughs> it's like, yeah, okay, well, I'm, glad we, <laughs> I'm glad we sent two spies in to tell us that <laughs> God has given the land into our hands. We already knew that. Uh, but right. still, they come, they confirm it. Uh, as is our sinful human nature, which God often uh, condescends for, right? He He knows that we need reassurances. He knows that we need incarnate assurances of our salvation, hence baptism and the Lord's Supper and these uh, cathartic incarnate things. But still, they come back and they say, hey, it's true. Yahweh has given the land into our hands. And and we talk to this lady, and, and she's definitely in the know. And she says, man, the whole city is afraid of us. So certainly encouraging for the for the coming invasion. Absolutely. Yeah, we never told if Joshua uh, inquired of the Lord to say, is this a good idea to send spies? Do we need to do that? True. We were not told that, um, nor are we told that she was commended because she acted so uh, deceitfully, but she acted in faith. Um, so I believe he was acting in faith as well. You know, he's... Um, he is Joshua, uh, Yahshua himself here, um, acting as as uh, God's appointed leader of, of his people to bring them into the promised land. And I think this is, um, you know, not to make it too um, much of an analogy, but I do see typology here because um, we've got these spies. What did they do? They left. Um, practically uh, speaking, they should have died. Right. And so they're lowered down in a basket. And where do they have to go? They have to go into the mountains, into the into the caves. Right. And then after what? After three days, they come out. They burst out from the cave to do what? To preach the good news that, <laughs> That's that right. the victory is theirs and the promised land is open to you, Yahshua. It's like, oh, wow. Isn't that doesn't yeah. that make you think of Jesus? 
um, God, and it, and I, now it's not Jesus, you know, not that way, but it's it. God continue whenever we read His scriptures, and this is a historical event. This really did happen, just like this. But God is so amazing that He uses this historical event that happened in just this way for us New Testament people who've seen the fulfillment of the Lord to be like, oh yeah, this wasn't an accident. God bringing His people into the promised land had Jesus in mind from the very beginning. Yeah. The the whole plan of salvation was clearly laid out and how our Lord Jesus would be um, brought down into the depths of the sea and, or uh, of the land of the earth and brought up again in his resurrection to burst forth to promise us that the promised land of eternal life of the resurrection is ours. Now they really do come into the promised land and you too will really come into the promised land of the resurrection. So yeah, there's just so much so much Jesus here, it's mm-hmm. um, hard to capture at all. Well, and you have to remember, like, when this is happening on the ground, they go to this lady. She says, okay, go wait three days out in the, you know, the wilderness or whatever. And they go, okay, that makes sense. And they wait three days, and the, which is they listen to her. There's something in that, too. And then they go back to Joshua, and they go, okay, yeah, it was three days. First reading this, you know, people go, oh. But New Testament people, in this side of the fulfillment of the coming of the Messiah, you and I go, of course it's three days. Why wouldn't it be three days? Um, yeah. So yeah, like like you said, it's not that the author's twisting this to match Christ because, well, no. Christ hasn't come yet. And it's not that um, that God um, is, is trying to just be cute here. It all connects that God is in control. And and I've been yeah. loving so far through Joshua, and I, I've already pre-recorded a couple episodes. But but I've been loving this connection to the typology of Yeshua here to Yeshua, our Lord and Savior. Um, and it's just been it's just been really rewarding. So that's something to continue to look forward to, folks. This continues to show itself. Uh, Joshua as a type of the Joshua or Jesus who is going to come. It's just beautiful. It is. It's a it's a great chapter. And again, it really does challenge us with those ethical questions of how should we act for our neighbor? Because it isn't it isn't simply, okay, well, as long as the greater outcome happens, I can lie. But no, I mean just think about like the martyrs, right? They they weren't called to lie for themselves. When it was for their own life, they they didn't. They gave the life because that was what the neighbor really needed. So again, um, the the ethical questions aren't simple ones and shouldn't be easily dismissed of this text, but it should draw us in to really what the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments really draws, reveal to us, our love for God and our love for our neighbor. How am I called to love my neighbor here? Well, to defend them. Don't let them die. Of course, of course. And and even if that means that I might face uh, death in defense of my neighbor, of course, of course. And how then can I proclaim Christ and my faith in Christ here, even if it costs me my life. Well, of course, my my martyrdom might be called of me. And so I shouldn't lie and say, well, I'm not a Christian. Um, if my neighbor and if my, my Lord calls me into faithfully proclaiming him as Lord and Savior. Um, so again, um, this text is really deep into those kind of ethical questions too. But bring us back to how the martyrs answered that question, right? They didn't give up all the faithful in the catacombs. They didn't say, well, you know what? Yes, I'm a Christian. And this is where you can find all of us either. You know, there are times (laughs) as Christians, we have to um, 
practice, you know, if you're a Christian in uh, China or maybe uh, in uh, Iran, you might have to practice your faith underground and hide the fact that you are a Christian out of your love for your neighbor so they can hear the truth. Uh, but if you were caught and you have to be brought before the the uh, the judge and say, well, are you a Christian or not? Um, yeah, we have to confess the truth. And so, um, yeah, there, there are a lot of ethical issues, but I think the history of the Christian church and how we have uh, can learn from our fathers before us really does help us in this chapter and, and throughout all of our life. A wise man once said, who also just happened to be the creator of all things, be wise as serpents and innocent as doves, right? So we have Jesus who recognizes the duality of our existence as we go out into a world where we are sheep among wolves. You know, should we deny the faith to save our own skin? No. But should we uh, uh, rationalize? Well, you know, if I if I can stay alive, then I can, you know, I can I can serve you more, God. But, you know, there's all kinds of things that go into our decisions. But ultimately, it really does focus on this ultimate command to love our neighbor. And I think that's what we're taking away from this today. That and, of course, the meat of the sandwich, which I want to remind people, was Rahab's confession. I mean, she confessed and acknowledged God's divine providence in Israel's possession of Canaan, right? She knew that they were going to get the land. She recognized his presence throughout the wilderness in the Exodus. And, of course, she acknowledged that the Lord is the reigns over the universe, um, that's something that even many of the Israelites struggled to live by and hear this foreigner, this foreigner whose life was uh, ostensibly uh, steeped in sinful behavior. And yet here she is, the great, 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 great grandma of Jesus. Um, just a beautiful woman, a beautiful message and a beautiful story. Uh, here we are the last couple minutes of the show. Anything else you want to share with the folks before we go? Yeah, as we reflect on Rahab, um, may our people be encouraged to know that there there is um, there is no sin in, in your life. There is no waywardness, no walk away from the Lord that our Lord can't call you back. Um, there is no person outside uh, so far from His saving grace uh, that they can't be saved by His cross. Um, here, Rahab is um, is great example of God's mercy to us all, and may may we be encouraged to know that that mercy extended to her is a mercy extended to us. She was outside, now she's brought inside. She was not part of God's people, but now she is just like you, and now you are part of the line and lineage, the family of our Lord Jesus. Your name is written in His book just like her name was written in his line. I'd like to thank my guest this morning, the Reverend John Shank, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. Thanks, Pastor, for being on the program again. Thank you. God's blessings. Folks, tomorrow, chapters 3 and 4, lots of show for you tomorrow. As the Israelites stand on the banks of the Jordan River, Joshua receives specific instructions from Yahweh to have the priests bearing the ark step into the river's rushing waters and stand still. In an event that mirrors the earlier crossing of the Red Sea, the Jordan miraculously halts its flow, allowing the entire Israelite nation to cross over on dry ground. That's what we're going to talk about and a lot more tomorrow in chapters 3 and 4. But until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray, Father, keep us in thy strong word.